0: Revelation 21 verses 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus, we are here because you make all things new. God, that you make us new. You make this world new. You make this church new. You make our relationships new. God, you give us a new future. You give us a new hope. You give us a new eternity. And so God, we're here today in that confidence to hear from you. What do you desire to make new today? we give ourselves to you in this time to you and say that you can have your way among us. Do all that you desire to accomplish. And we pray these things in the powerful name of the risen one, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in the early 1900s, the London Times invited a small number of nationally respected authors to weigh in on one question. What is wrong with the world? And the result was a series of essays explaining who and what was the cause for the then current state of the world. If we were to invite the greatest thinkers of our day to speak into this question, I can only imagine the vitriol that would fill the pages. We could pull everybody here and probably get a different answer from each and every person. There would be many things That we could blame for the state of affairs, but we would be hard-pressed to find anyone who would disagree that something has gone horribly wrong. There is something wrong with the world. And amidst the eloquent essays submitted to the London Times back then explaining what was wrong with the world, one man, G.K. Chesterton, responded simply, beautifully, and accurately. He simply replied, dear sirs, I am. Now, Chesterton was a good man, right? He's not confessing some great atrocity that shaped human history and made it the vile place that it is. But he was simply acknowledging that the problem with the world is human sin, evil living in and perpetuated by every human being, both great and small. But the world was not always this way. See, the Bible tells the story of the world. Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters in the Bible tell creation's beautiful beginnings. That God made everything full of life and abundance and flourishing full of potential. And God and the humans lived together in the Garden of Eden. And God looked at everything that he had made and he said, it's very good. It was not always full of corruption. It was very good. But then following the deceit of the serpent, the humans rebelled against God. And the rest of the Bible tells how this beautiful creation just fell into pandemonium. They're expelled from the garden, the paradise with God. The ground no longer produces its abundance. The humans neither trust God nor one another. All of their relationships are broken. The world is filled with violence and oppression and all of life, which was meant to flourish with God, will eventually die. And Genesis 5 records this genealogy of humanity. And there's a continually beating drum throughout the genealogy, the phrase, and then he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so, he lived this many years, and then he died. And then so-and-so had this son, and then he died. And then he died, and then he died, and then he died. The chaos that was unleashed in that the only certain thing in life is death. And so the human experience today takes place in this context. We live in a world full of goodness, full of joy, full of God's abundance intended for our joy, but then sewn into the fabric of all creation. It's in, even in our greatest pleasures is this sin, this corruption of a fallen world. My dad used to say that anything enjoyable in life that is not sin is either fattening or has been known to cause cancer in lab rats. (laughs) And it's an oversimplification, but think about it. We're invited to enjoy nature and we experience natural disasters. We enjoy friendships, but we risk betrayal and falling outs. We're invited into family, this beautiful community of family. And yet we experience some of our deepest wounds at the hands we love the most. We're invited into meaningful work to participate in human flourishing, in God's creation. And then we experience injustice at work or work that isn't as fruitful as we had hoped for. The world is filled with good things, but close at hand is the reminder that everything is still broken. At the end of every good thing, you will either grieve the loss of it or we will grieve the loss of you. But then we come to the last two chapters of the Bible. And we get a very different picture of the world. Genesis records its beginnings, but here in Revelation 21, we have its future. It's our future. It's a beautiful future. See, the Bible begins with creation, but it ends in a new creation. And these last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, they parallel the first two chapters of the Bible. The heavens and the earth are made new. God and his people live together again. There is no more pain and no more sorrow because of the curse of sin. And death is no more. But then you have to ask the question, how do we get here? Because if insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result, then we would be insane to think that the new creation comes about by humans just going about business as usual. We are not going to make this happen. We are not the ones that bring about the new creation. Something has to have happened in order to shift so drastically this tide. Something has had to have happened to give us this new hope, this new future, this new life. Between these two worlds... The one we live in, the one that the scriptures record and the one that is existing at the end of human history between these two worlds is an event so powerful, so important that it's a turning point in human history. A new trailhead emerges from this downward spiral of sin and chaos and puts our feet on a sure path in a life that contradicts death, in a life that contradicts sin and defeats the devil himself. This is what we're celebrating today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all things new. See, God never gave up on his creation plan. His desire is to dwell with his people in paradise. His desire is to live with his people. And so he left the luxury of his own kingdom. He left the luxury of heaven and came into our brokenness and took on our frailty, took on our weakness, took on our humanity and suffered the worst that evil humanity could devise. And he was crucified on a Roman cross. And on the surface... The crucifixion and death of Jesus appears to be just another beat of that same old drum. And then he died. But the scriptures say that it was all according to plan. God's plan since before the beginning of time. The scriptures say that through this death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. Jesus absorbed our sin into himself and nailed it to the cross, killing our sin with him. But ultimately his death was very different than any death that ever came before him because he didn't stay dead. Death couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. He is risen. My wife and I used to have a fish. His name was Sushi. And one day, it was a Sunday, and, and, and I, was at, I was at church, and, uh, and I got a phone call, and Sushi was dead. And so now I'm frustrated because not only after a long day do I have a dead fish, but now I have to talk to my children about death and so I get home expecting to see fish in the bowl and talk to my kids about death and I get in and I look over the in the bowl and my wife will swear to you that this fish was gray pale belly up just floating on the ripples of the top of the fish bowl and I got home and I kid you not this fish is swimming around the bowl we called this fish the resurrection fish he was risen for about three hours and then he died I don't know what happened or why. Maybe it's just for this illustration. But that fish came back to life and then died again. This is not what happened to Jesus. Jesus was not revived. He was not resuscitated. right? This wasn't some mistake of the professional Roman executioners who just like, oops, made a mistake, wasn't dead yet. Jesus was not raised from the dead only to die again someday. He was in the tomb three days and then he wasn't. He was raised never to die again. The disciples saw him and ate with him. He was alive bodily and then he ascends into heaven and is alive today. Jesus has conquered death. And his resurrection is not only good news for Jesus, but it's good news for everyone who believes. If you receive it by faith, by simply believing that it's true, his victory over sin and death becomes your victory over sin and death. It's like war. Even though you may never serve in the military, your nation's victory is your victory because your way of life is protected. You are preserved and life continues. And so Jesus' victory over death means that your life continues. His victory is your victory. Sin and death have been waging war against God's people and his creation since the garden. And the resurrection is a decisive victory. The enemy has been disarmed. Violence and fear of death no longer reign. The scriptures say death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And it is because, church, it's because of this victory over death that Jesus' resurrection gives you new life. Jesus doesn't just give you something new to do on Sundays. He doesn't give you a new hobby or a new interests or now this is my favorite book. He doesn't give you new things. He makes you new. Jesus makes you new. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, this world makes a lot of promises about how you can live the good life. Right? This world will give you second chances. It'll give you new careers, new cars, new houses, new loves. It can give you lots of new things. But it's the same old you just in new contexts. Only Jesus can make you new. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, No matter what you have said about Jesus or said about your fellow brothers and sisters, your fellow humans, God can make you new. Your past no longer equals your future. You are not your successes. You are not your failures. You are not the things that you have done or the crimes committed against you. Jesus has given you a new identity. You are not your wounds. You are a new creation if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. Scripture says that your old self is dead that your old self died with Christ on the cross, but that you have been raised to new life. And this life means that you have a new future. So the future of the world on this trajectory is headed one place, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your new life means that you have a new future. Apart from Jesus, the best humanity can do is maybe slow it down or distract ourselves from it doctors and medicine might be able to slow down the aging process and death drugs and alcohol might be able to distract from the the the, the coming end Technology can distract us from what's coming, but Jesus makes all things new. When you believe your life is set on a new trajectory, you're pulled out of the downward spiral of sin and chaos and corruption, and you are set on your feet on a new path, a new path headed to a new destination, a new future and a new hope, the new heavens and the new earth, not just a better place. Not just a better place or a better world. You're not just a better human. New creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. This destination, this future, this hope is one without sin and sorrow and pain and death. It's where humanity rightly reflects the creator. Where the beauty of Jesus is put on full display through every human being. Where God lives with his people. And the assurance of this new future changes the way we live. What you believe about the future changes the way you live today. Most of you knew that you were going to be around people. And so you probably brushed your teeth. What you believe about, or maybe you're just trusting in the mask to hold it in. You're sacrificing that for us and just, you know, you're doing it. What you believe about the future changes the way we we live today. What you believe about the new future that Jesus provides, the new creation that God has given you, where you are headed changes the way you live today. Imagine that a Shakespearean play that had been lost was discovered. And it's a play in six acts. And the fifth act is only halfway finished. And they want to, this, this Shakespearean theater group wants to put this play on, but they only have half of the fifth act. The way they would go about making this happen is getting the the top Shakespearean uh actors and, and scholars to get together and they would study the first four and a half acts, and then they would study the sixth act, and then they would create the story based on what they know to have happened and what they know to be true about the future. You are living in the fifth act. It is unfinished. You have an entire story of creation before you, an entire story of salvation, what Jesus has done for you before you. And you know where you are headed. So you know how you can live. You know how to live today. It gives us a new purpose. No longer do we live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus, the one who died and was raised from the dead so that we might live. He's given us a new eternal life in glory with him. And so this life, because we give this life to him because he's given everything to us. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us and through us. And he invites us into his kingdom work with him to glorify him simply by delighting in what he's accomplished, by delighting in him. Do you know that you glorify Jesus just by enjoying him? Just by delighting in Jesus and loving Jesus, you glorify him. So we delight in Jesus together and what he's accomplished. We declare this good news to everyone who will listen. And we demonstrate his love and grace and his sacrificial love for the world by living in light of that and laying down our lives for one another. In this way, the world will see the power of the resurrection in our lives because Jesus' resurrection gives you new power. To live this way, to love this way will require nothing short of the power of God. And so God gives his Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us this new power. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of God is the power of the resurrection and by faith he is in you, he is with you, he is empowering you. So that eternal life, abundant life. Did you know the life that Jesus promises doesn't begin when you die and cross over to the other side? The other side is crossed over to you. You have eternal life today in Jesus' name if you've trusted in Him. The Spirit gives power to choose life over death The Holy Spirit gives power to choose righteousness over sin, to choose God's will over our will. It gives us power to choose faith over fear, worship over anxiety, and to choose to trust in God rather than trusting in ourselves. Now maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I've heard this before. It all sounds nice. Maybe you're here today and you've been walking with Jesus for a while and you remember that new life. You remember the new life in Christ that it was exciting at first. It was exciting in the beginning. But what what once felt fresh is now feeling stale. Now your experience in your new life is beginning to feel a lot like your old life. See, in your new beginning with Jesus, all your sin was in the past. But now you're starting to recognize that there are still areas of darkness, still areas of corruption in your own life. And I'll be honest with you, it is much more difficult at times for Christians to wrestle with their sin after salvation than the sin before salvation. We know, we believe that Jesus has saved you. Your sin will no longer have its consequence in your life. But oftentimes it's, it's difficult to wrestle with, well, then why am I still struggling? And the enemy tells you that it's because there's something wrong with you. That maybe you didn't actually believe in the beginning. Or maybe maybe you've strayed too far and God's given up on you. Maybe you're beginning to wonder if your experience of Jesus in the beginning was real. Maybe you're wrestling with the promises of God and how he could allow tragedy to strike you or your home. I've heard about this new life, Adam. I've heard about that, but then this happened. Explain this. Explain cancer. Explain death. Explain my family sending me out. Explain this. Why would God do this? Maybe you want to believe that that God loves you, but you're struggling to make sense of the wounds inflicted by a broken world. Look, I don't know your experience. But I know that God does. And he doesn't downplay it. God doesn't downplay your wounds. He doesn't downplay your suffering. He doesn't say, suck it up. It's not that bad. Or don't you know I have a plan? Cheer up. That is not the Lord's words to you. He says, I know. This world is broken. And my people are hurt and hurting each other. And they're suffering. And it's not okay. And it never should have been that way. One of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture is John chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus is dead. He's been dead four days. He's in the tomb. Jesus knows he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He stands outside the tomb and he weeps. Not because he's grieving the loss of Lazarus, but he's grieving the fact that sin and death has made a mess of this place. Never should have been that way. God comes alongside you in your grief, in your pain, puts his arm around you and says, I know. He weeps with you, but he will raise you from the dead. If you trust in him. All of these experiences from our stale faith to our struggles and the tension between who God is and our experiences, what we experience in the world, all of these experiences are indicative of being made new in the midst of a fallen world. We are made new, but we still live in the midst of a fallen world. God's work is finished. Make no mistake, he has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what our salvation will be. But we are still works in progress. God's work is accomplished, but we are not finished. It's like a painting or a sculpture in the hands of a master craftsman. When it's halfway through, you don't know what it's going to be, but Michelangelo did. Michelangelo said, I look at the marble and I see the angel. I just need to remove the material that should not be there. God looks at you and he sees who you're becoming. You might not see it yet, but you are a work in progress. You wouldn't go into Michelangelo's studio, see him sculpting something halfway through and be like, I don't know, Mike. When you look at yourself in the mirror, when you see your sin, it's tempting to look at God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. God does. He sees the new creation. He's removing the things that ought not be there. And it takes time. That's our experience as a saved people, as a resurrected people in the midst of a fallen and a broken world. God knows what we will be, but we are still waiting to see his vision. In the mind of God, you have been made complete, but we are still awaiting what we will become. The scriptures say that you are his workmanship. You are his craftsmanship. Literally, you are his poema. It's where we get the word poem. You are a work in God's hands, and he has begun a work in you, and we can be confident that he will complete that good work in you in the day of christ jesus he has he will finish the work he has made you for a new purpose and a new future you are destined for beauty and jesus who rose from the dead the scriptures promise promise will also raise us from the dead and give us eternal life in the new creation but until then we get to experience glimpses of this new creation in this world. One of the ways that we get to experience this new creation in the world is when we get to see people put their faith in Jesus for the first time. And the moment they believe, we're told that God makes them a new creation. We get to watch them become new. So everyone here who's trusted in Jesus has a story to tell about being made new. They're not perfect, but they're in process. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, don't take my word for it. Ask them. Ask the ones who brought you here. Ask the ones who loved you so much, they dragged you here on a beautiful sunny day to hear about the resurrection of Jesus. Grab a burrito after church, sit down and say, tell me your story. Tell me how God made you new. Church, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot today, but you got work to do. You've got a story to tell. You were dead and now you're alive. And you have got good news to share. If you're here and you don't have a new creation story, then today's the day. Today, you can be made new. Today, you can be given new life, a new future, a new power, a new purpose. If you put your faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, there is no area that Jesus won't heal. There is no area either now or in eternity that Jesus won't heal. In Christ, your future is guaranteed. As sure as the tomb is empty, he is risen. He makes all things new. Now in a moment, I'm going to close our time in prayer. If there's anyone here who has not yet experienced the power of the resurrection, anyone who has not yet put their faith in Jesus, or anyone who has done that and has since walked away, God bless you for being here. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Jesus loves you. But I want to give you an invitation to respond to God today. What better way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus by experiencing the power of his resurrection in your own life. And so simply by believing it's true, Jesus makes you new. If this is where you're at today, if you're wanting to trust in Jesus today, then in your seat, in the quietness of your heart, I want you to say, Yes to Jesus by simply praying with me. Jesus, I believe that you've created all things. I believe that you love me. I believe that like the world, I am broken and sinful. But I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Jesus, give me new life by the power of your Spirit. Fill me with your resurrection power and raise me from the dead. God, I don't know what my life will be, but if you are in it, I know that my future is certain. Jesus, I trust you. Save me. Make me new. God, we pray that anyone who has prayed this prayer to you in their hearts, Lord, would receive a rush of comfort by your Holy Spirit, the Comforter. I pray that they would experience the power of your resurrection today in joy. Lord, I pray that they would experience your healing from wounds. I pray that they would experience you celebrating over them. Lord, your word says that you sing over your people with loud exaltation, that you sing over us, that you celebrate your people. And so, God, I pray that you would fill them with a song. Lord, that you would fill them with joy, that you would fill them with your power, that you would give them a new life, a new future, a new hope, a new power, a new purpose. Lord, that you would bring them into your new creation. God, we love you. Thank you that you didn't stay dead, but that you are alive today and you are with your people giving resurrection power. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.